show me what I'm your level's like. Right Alright, we're good to go. That's excellent. I'm crispy cool. You're crispy clean. Alright, it is October the 28th be with you. We are... This is... You know, Wednesday is a really awkward day for Halloween to be on. It is. Well, yeah, because not for me. Halloween, because... because Halloween always goes to the weekend, right? Like, like as a young adult, Halloween is not about the trick-or-treating as much as it is about, like, the parties. But when it's on a Wednesday... There's no parties it's to be had. It's this weird situation yeah. of, like, which, which weekend gets to be the Halloween weekend. Yeah. And, and it turns out the way that people are treating it this year is it's just like both. Okay. So, so it's there's th- some it's parties this... over here and some yeah. parties over there. And maybe that's actually better because like everyone wants to have a Halloween party and, and you can't go to all of them, but at least when there's two Halloween weekends, you can go to two. Yeah. Um. I, you know, I don't typically, I don't participate much in Halloween. I don't really, I haven't done a costume in a while, um, nor do I at all like giving out uh, candy to kids, which is what my duty has been in the last couple Halloweens. But uh, why? Why is that? Why? Why am I the one? Why don't you like it? What I don't I don't dislike it though. Oh, why don't I like giving candy to kids? Oh, because yes. I I do a very poor job of like like standing there and being and doing you're supposed to you know the unwritten rules of giving candy you're, to you're kids you're bad at complimenting is, yeah, children yeah is i'm bad at complimenting children you're you're i mean that you cut to the heart of it but yeah so the unwritten unwritten rules of it is you're supposed to say oh who are you oh wow <laughs> thor how would you feel if you saw like a kid dressed as like snake pliskin oh my would god i would lose that? my mind i mean i i, I always thought i, I was kind of let down because i always thought that if uh, I was gonna give out Halloween candy. I was looking for ones that I would recognize, video game characters, maybe like uh, Ezio, Assassin Creed, Assassin's Creed, or something like that. I don't love Assassin's Creed, but I think that's the kind of thing that I'd go wild for. But if there was a kid dressed as Snake Plissken, I would first not understand how the kid knew anything about Snake Plissken, and secondly, I would think that their their uh, S- their dad or, or mom, not their SO, uh, was very cool. Unless the kid has an SO, that's really cool. I don't know. I'm it's 2018, but. I, I'm not great at, at complimenting the kids and being a cute, uh, candy giver. And even then with everything I've just said, not really participating, not being good at giving out candy. Um, I, Halloween means a lot to me as a holiday and it kind of makes me sad that it's on a Wednesday. I think that kids should get off that day. Seriously. I, I think that it should be like a, at least a school holiday, um, I, I, I just think of it as like in Halloween at its best is a very like it's one of the maybe one of the few like American made holidays that uh, and it, it not only that, but it, it it is all about like community. Yeah, right? I, I like, can see that. And we get off on a lot of stupid days like Columbus Day is still a holiday. Yeah, he's he didn't even do anything that asshole. But Halloween is is kind of interesting because. It, it I, I you hear the worst stories that and and it's 2018 like people are the you you got the maga bomber running around like I don't want to get political but basically half the country is terrible um and either side would think that anyway but um only one side would be correct but anyway uh you got you hear the bad stories of like people putting like you know needles into candy or 
or like uh, razor blades into apples. And that stuff is obviously terrible. And those people are who's eating an apple tremendous. I don't know. I, w- I wouldn't eat an apple anyway. That's the funny thing is someone gave me an apple that, that I would just I would I would take it and toss it right onto their lawn and say, you go clean that up. That that's garbage. That's news to me. That's you garbage. Just don't like apples. No, I'm not going to get an apple from a stranger. On Halloween, that's yeah, where they sure. put the can. That's where they put the knives and the needles. Absolutely, but are you also suggesting that you just won't eat a straight up apple? No, I'll eat an apple. I I love right. apples. I the, it has nothing to do with apples, but one important quality of fruit should be where you got the fruit. Did you get the fruit in a grocery store? Well, maybe it still has needles in it because recently someone was putting needles into strawberries, and really is a terrible time. It's 2018, but uh, 2018. What? strawberries just like needles like yeah there was a huge strawberry recall because they were put because someone at a packing plant a a young kid i think was putting not like hypodermic needles like sewing needles into strawberries you didn't know this that's not hear about this yeah it's terrible but uh, i mean a, a part of fruit should be where you're getting the fruit you can't if 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 you get if you got a bushel of bananas and you take one off your countertop and it's a safe banana for what you assume is a safe banana, um, and you eat it, that's fine. I like bananas. If I go to someone's house and knock on their door, and then they come and give me a banana, I'm not eating that banana. Where, what have you done to this banana? Why would you give this banana away? Give me candy. Give me something that's, they're one of the reasons why, why candy is good is because it should all be pre-wrapped. So it's harder to get the needles in. But that's not the point. The point is that the point is that it should be a a community building uh, thing. We we got into. It, let me in a bizarre way segue into into almost the tabletop uh, style of of thinking that we went away this year in 2018 from games. We didn't we didn't leave. We didn't turn our back on them. We just said, listen, we want an open. I want an open relationship. I want to be able to do other things is that cool and then game said yeah okay i understand some of the you know like maybe maybe as, it'll invigorate as long as you're us. still spending as much money on me and just playing less yeah yeah that that's what happened and i i think and and my life got better it my life really did get better instantly because of tabletop games like i just it, you know there's something that brings up your mood about uh, going and hanging out with a friend rather than just saying like, "Hey, you're gonna be on Destiny today? Okay, let's play for 12 hours today." Like, they, like you know, playing a bunch of different games, being across the table, hanging out, being in person, meeting new people, stuff like that is a is an, is amazing, and it and it, it it you know it enriches you as a person and like builds a community, and you get to see people face to face in this in this modern era with all the with all the cell phones and and and, in, and you get some pie, you you know, you get some, brought, you get really I, good I, I rainbow cookies, salad. yeah. Yeah, you get really good rainbow cookies, and you say that you don't even like rainbow cookies, but man, these are good rainbow cookies. And that's what table Halloween should be the tabletop gaming of holidays. It's the day where you put down that dang phone, it, and you go outside, and these these kids that never get any exercise. Because I used to be a trouble little kid myself, but you you would work off five days worth of worth of calories running around. Then you put them back on, but you 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 go out with you hang out with friends all day. I didn't really get into mischief. I know you did, but I, I, I played it straight. I, I was a, I was a nice little kid dressing up as Dilbert, going house to house. People are like, "Why would you even dress up as Dilbert?" I didn't do any mischief on Halloween. I did, I did uh, mischief at other times, but I like to, I respected Halloween for what it was. Yeah, I think, I, I think Halloween should be 
I think at its best and what people should strive for Halloween to be should be the time that you meet your neighbors. Because in this this day and age, just wacky day, you know, we don't even know our neighbors. But maybe those little childrens that people get, they start going house to house and you have a conversation here, take all the Reese's you want. They're the best candy. And then the kid says, no, I wanted the I wanted the lollipops. And then you're like, ew, don't take anything. Ew. Lollipops are pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. Just as a delivery mechanism for sugar. Yeah. Not the best. Bad for your teeth, too. Yeah. Man, there's a lot about there's a lot of bad stuff about that. It's really it's really the the Reese's has got to be, you know, one of the high tier ones, if not the highest tier. But yeah, for sure. Uh, that's what it should be. That's why I like that holiday. It, it should it should be about, you know, having fun, going out, putting in a, putting work in you know, to, to look interesting or cool or, you know, show some, it not only is it, not only is it a day for you to walk around and, uh, you know, interface with people, even in a really weird setting like Halloween, but it's a day for you to, you know, show who you are a little bit. You love Ezio. You love Snake Plissken. You're going to, you're going to dress up as Snake Plissken. That's cool. That's all I got for Halloween. But not on a Wednesday, maybe. Not on a Wednesday. Like it should, those kids should get off that day and the day and the next day. If I had if I had anything to do with uh, the educational system, and of course I don't, I would make them. I would make everyone off. I would have everyone off on Halloween Day and the next day. But also, Halloween should be one of those holidays where it shouldn't always get scheduled for the thirty first. It should be scheduled for the last Friday. The last Friday. You know. Yeah, you know how, how some holidays do that. Why can't all holidays try and do stuff like that? All the good ones. Should try and do stuff like that. I know, I know, young Jizu and his his baby birthday. Like, it's hard to reschedule that one. I don't know if, I don't know if the the they would frown upon that. But uh, I think you can keep that one where it is. Yeah, you can keep that one where it is. But you, we get off for the, the the whole week anyway. For most people, do I don't. But um, kids should be off on Halloween and the the next day. That should be fun. They should. It should be a Friday. It should be every Friday. It should be the last Friday in October. Get it straight. It should be every Friday in October. It should be every Friday in October. It should be. It should honestly. Halloween should honestly have a reoccurrence, twice a year at least, because people put a lot of effort into those costumes. I think that that's why the when you're getting old, when you're a kid, you you really got that one night to you really got that one day to shine. But but the the, uh, the older population, you got parties and stuff. You know, you can you can you can wear that costume a couple times. If you make no, it, if you make no, it happen, people, people don't do that. People don't do that's that. That's not how it goes. They don't do that. That's no, not how it goes. No one does that. You don't recycle a costume. You don't recycle it. You wear a different thing. You can't get caught wearing the same one twice. You know, a lot of people wear different costumes if they even go to like two different parties in one week. They'll they'll get two costumes ready. That's too much. It is too much, but that's that's, that's opulence. That's that's kids these days or adults, young adults. I call them YAs. I got to play uh, Betrayal this week, which was very uh, timely for Halloween. Ooh, that it was actually good. the best game of Betrayal. Uh, we played Betrayal at Baldur's Gate, and it was the best one that we've ever had. I like and Betrayal I think, at Baldur's Gate, actually. And I think the thing that made it really work is, first off, we had four people, which is a way better number than three yeah. for Betrayal. I, I think you need as many. How many does that sit? Four? Max? I think it actually sits six. Okay, so I, I feel like that's a game that you... You really need for for the betrayal games. I feel like you really need an appropriate group. You need people who don't A and P too hard, and you need a big group. You need people who are willing to go into the game and not care about winning or losing. You need to say, okay, 
this is not a balanced game. This is just a game about having fun. So we need to lean into that. We need to lean into the role playing and the atmosphere of the game, because if you try hard in this game, you're probably going to end up being pretty upset. Yeah, I think and, I, I, and I everyone, like games like that. I, I kind of almost want to play more games like terms. that. Everyone agreed to those terms, so it was good. Okay, that's kind of almost why I wanted. Um, what's that game? Uh, Cosmic Encounter. No, like Lords of what? What's the what's the um, Fantasy Flight game that is? Well, Cosmic Encounter is good too. But what's what's the Fantasy Flight game that I can't think of? It's like miniature based, and I keep I cannot possibly think of it for the life of me. Arkham Where, Horror. No, no. Um, you you buy Mansions of Madness. No. You buy minis. It's like a it's like a D and D kind of thing where where someone plays as a overlord. Warhammer forty k. No, oh, whatever. <laughs> I have no idea. If if people know it, then they know it, and if they don't know it, then they don't know it. So if you if you and know, then it, then you know. Yeah. So there you go. Um, but I I kind of like I I kind of like experiences like that. Um, that a, a that I I really want to do something along the veins of uh monster of the week like i want to i want to do an a a story building experience and that's kind of why i've been trying to get uh kingdom death monster to the table because uh i think it's similar to the attitude you just expressed where the appropriate attitude for kingdom death monster is not like we must win and be the best and we will only be happy if we optimize and do everything perfectly, you kind of have to be more like, you know, something, a character you fall in love with goes insane and puts their hand inside of a screaming skull and then loses their arm and then they can't fight anymore. And you're like, that's the way the cookie crumbles. That's an interesting story right there. And that's it. You got to build stories off of it. You got to have a, you know, a, a, a group dynamic story. One of the things that I'm coming to appreciate, and it's and it's actually hard to find, is this concept that games are not necessarily random, but that you're unable to always create the scenario that sets you up to win. And you have to just sort of react to what's happening and do your best with what you get to do. I know where this is going. And, and I think that that's, that that's nice because... Uh, because it sort of gets you out of your own mind. It sort of makes you look at uh, the board and, and sort of just conceptually like what's going on rather than just uh, rather than just, you know, being in your own own head the whole game. So but you yeah, want to talk so, about food so chain magnate? Is that what would, but I sort that, of what would feel that prompting? Way a, absolutely not. I don't know what you're talking about. But I but I do absolutely agree with you that something story driven uh, sort of for the same reasons, because I don't know. There's just something nice about considering something outside of like your own like head strategy. Yeah. But maybe that's a bit of a stretch. I don't know. But we got together and we were able to play some games yesterday. This is true. And we got to play Food Chain Magnate again, which we haven't played in months. Yeah, we got to play a bunch of stuff. It was a very productive day of gaming. I kind of wish I had Brass on me. I kind of wish I had Yellow and Yangtze. Those are games that what I'm kind of What would you have traded for. them for, though? I don't know. I don't think I would have traded them for anything just because we were overdue on some of those. We were way overdue on Food Chain. So that's So true. I actually came out of Food Chain like a little bit sour last night. And I think that I was sour Is that about true? I thought you were... Because of how Priya received it, how yeah. towards the end of the game, uh, she didn't even care. 
like what was happening. That kind of bummed me out. Yeah, that's bad. Uh, that's I can't really say much other than that's bad sportsmanship. I mean, I don't want to. I don't even really want to blame the game. Like, there's. It was a weird situation of our food chain magnate setup. Uh, so for those who don't know, food chain magnate is a sort of rare, smallly produced game about running uh, food chains, like food industries. And what you're doing is you're buying employees and you're building out this you're network of restaurants. You're not hiring them. You're buying them. You're, yeah, you're buying them. For the most part, you don't like pay your employees very kind much of a mafia. at all. And, and you're just sort of trying to run the other restaurants out of business through cutting prices, through opening restaurants that are, you know, closer to the to the demand. Sometimes and, uh, literally outside their house. And and also just by uh, overwriting demand, like by by telling people you don't want pizza, you want burgers. Yeah. If you want pizza, you're an idiot because everyone only wants burgers. And then the people in those houses, they think, well... I guess I just want two burgers. I guess I just want three burgers for the next six months. Yeah. All I'm going to eat every night is going to be three burgers. Uh, but we had a weird game of Food Chain Magnate because Priya invited her roommates to play. And I... I think... I don't know if that was, was a just, great idea. I was trying to caution her away from it. I, I know that Priya wanted her to be involved, but I was like, hey, you know... You don't have to do this just because Priya, you know, invited you to do it. If you don't want to do it, you know, feel comfortable. Uh, I, I think I think this goes back to to talking about how you, as a as a games curator, want to find the right games to the right people. And I think this is one of those things where you could have before bringing it out, uh, if you knew anything about her, uh, you would have said that like this is maybe not the right game for her. And that doesn't say anything negative about her or the game. I just think that like. You know, if we could have had five people and played Secret Hitler, we would have had a different story. I wouldn't want to offend anybody by saying like, hey, this game is not what you're looking for. That's not a, that shouldn't be an offensive thing. That's not. It's just that people you, people have likes and dislikes and, and board games are no different. Like you can't you can't look at board games any different than you can't could with movies. If someone's just like, I absolutely hate horror movies. I hate horror movies. I cannot watch them. And then you're like, well, I got a really good one. Can we just sit through it? And they're just like, sure. And then they hate it. Then maybe maybe you made a mistake. Yeah. So I even just like felt bad for having her have to sit at the table and sit through it. Because like every turn, I could tell that she was just not loving it. Right? Yeah. So halfway through the game we said so if you want to get up and discontinue playing this is your chance and she said thank you for having me uh i'm gonna i'm gonna bail out gonna of this dip. one and then i said hey do you guys maybe want to reset the board state and we said no too much has happened it's Let's yeah it's, it's kind of hard so, to be, I, with food chain especially we've had some weird games of it and i think that might be due to like its length and it has that sort of like almost uh, I don't want to compare it like Brass does this in a different way, but it has that almost like halfway point, like a very serious halfway point um, in that game. And multiple times we've said like we might reset the game at this point. But usually when you get to that point, the people who are playing it are a little bit too invested. And you might have situations like this where we had a player drop out of a four player game. So like the board state is weird. Um, this person the board has. Is bigger than it's supposed yeah. to be. There's more money in the bank. There are more uh, 
employees than would usually be milestones like that might be unachievable because this person got them um it's in four player games there's two times of the one time only characters so that was like an unclear thing and especially when you're converting it back to a three-player game then you kind of have to keep everything the same way like it's kind of weird to take things off the table that were yeah, there. you can't just be like, well, I'm going to nuke, you know, 25% of this board. You, you can't do that. Yeah. Because that's not fair. So you have to leave everything as it was and proceed as if nothing happened. And we did that. To be fair, Food uh, Chain, like, it's not that it, 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 it's interesting when you do things to, to board games like that to see, to put them through their paces. You know what I mean? Like, to be fair, it's kind of yeah. interesting to set up a four player game and then have a drop halfway through and then uh still have to work and, with four player and you know what's good about that though the thing that's good about the way that that was set up is that the the game actually went faster because of that because we had more houses on the board which meant more revenue coming in so that was kind of cool i also think that out of all the games of food chain magnate we've played we had the best randomly generated board state I've ever seen. Like, I think that it was the most interesting uh, roadmap that I've seen. Yeah. The coolest. Uh, So the thing that impressed me about this game, and maybe you have a different opinion, but, and, 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 you know, I'm trying to do this without like stroking my own, my own beer. No, stroke away. Whatever, whatever. Uh, This is your stroking time. Priya had taken the, the brand director and you were the first to hit $100, which meant that your CEO acted as a CFO. And I actually had nothing remarkable. Uh, I scooped up a burger chef and I scooped up a pizza chef. So I was able to mass produce. Uh, but other than that, I actually didn't have any 1X employees or anything. And, and I was still able to win uh, in spite of the fact that these um, arguably strongest abilities in the game were not in my hands. And I thought that that was pretty cool because I actually, we've had this argument specifically about the brand director before where I had, you know, contended that the brand director isn't good because the brand director sets everybody up to win if they, you know, because in the work to getting a brand director, there are other things that you might be skipping out on like being able to actually sell all of those burgers you're making or being able to fight over the land through local managers or through uh, pricing managers. And that was a lot of my game was actually buying uh, these low level employees, like not setting up the architecture, essentially borrowing everybody else's architecture to win the game. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that's interesting about that is in Food Chain Magnate, you might come up with this grand master plan about I'm going to set myself up to win. And one of the things that I love about this game so much and that I love the more I think about it is how adaptive you need to be where it's not like Gaia Project or like Terra Mystica where you're saying, oh, I'm going to generate uh, I have six knowledge right now, and if I do this move, it's going to give me an income knowledge of two. So next turn, I'll be able to move up two tracks. Uh, in Food Chain Magnate, it's so different because you're always immediately having to respond to what other players are doing and what's happening on the board. And because of that, 
you don't get to make this grand strategy like behind a wall where nobody can see you. Everything that you do is out in the open and you can't like, like flip a switch and just like, like ambush people and say like, I've been setting up this grand, this, this grand situation that's going to win because everybody can always see what you're doing. Yeah. And one of the coolest parts of food chain magnate to me is, is just that the anticipatory nature of it, like the way that turn order waits, like the way that turn order works and waiting for, you know, to see what other people are going to do. And it's so interesting how sometimes being first is so good in turn order because if you go first, you break ties on sales. So if two people are selling food for the same value uh, there and there's a tie to be broken, turn order will break that tie. But other times being last is really good because you want to see what the people in front of you are going to be marketing or what employees they're going to be hiring. And I just feel like Food Chain Magnate really is this perfectly balanced situation of nothing in that game feels extra. There are no extra parts or pieces or concepts in that game. Nothing feels like tacked on. And and I and I really like that. And and I just really like the way that Food Chain Magnate outside of all these other games that we play exists where this is not a game about building an engine. This is a game about finding a way to put your cog into the engine that the entire table is building. The table is building an engine. All of you are working together. Again, together against each other. To turn the fastest. Yeah. Yeah, that's very well said. And that's why I love it. Uh, but I know that you had sort of a different opinion coming out of the game last Not night. entirely. Like, I, I definitely want to... Uh, I definitely don't want to say anything bad about the game. Like, I, I think Food Chain Magnate is one of the greatest games of all time. Uh, so I don't want to... And, and, like, I never want to have any criticism of that game that isn't being modified by that that is like that because that's very important that if i'm like critical of aspects of that game it's not because i i don't hate it like that's insane i don't even think the game is middling i think it's amazing um i i there's just like there's just weird aspects to it i i think that it's kind of goofy and i wonder if the ketchup magnet mechanism will uh play into this but it's kind of goofy that as you said, uh, like some of the most interesting aspects of Food Chain Magnate, which I was not able to do very well last night at all, is what you said is 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 not building on something slowly. It's not having a uh, a like housing manager, whatever it is, someone constantly putting houses in one spot so you can finally put a a uh, store down right there and then market directly to them. It's like doing stuff ahead of time or lot clenching in the spot. Like you can't just build up something in advance the way you could in a lot of other engine building games. Cause people can see that you're doing that and then capitalize before that. Um, but it's weird because the beginning of the game is not that the beginning of the game is very structured. It's very regimented. Um, it, it's, it's kind of almost M- uh, MOBA like where there is a very appropriate beginning of yeah, the game. It's, it's like Scythe, right? Yeah. I mean, in Scythe there are openings and in Food Chain Magnate, I actually feel that those openings would go really fast. I feel like you could probably get through the first five turns of Food Chain Magnate in like 
10 minutes. Yeah. If people but it, are, it's just weird how that, explaining it to the people. that shakes out, right? Like, I don't know. It's just weird because the game in the beginning is very structured and then it becomes very unstructured and very chaotic. And you're kind of trying to like deal with the chaos. I still think that I have issues with the, the radio and it's never because I think the radio is like necessarily overpowered. I just think that it creates a really weird situation and it is something that tests players ability to adapt. So the radio is like one person in the game can get a radio station and the radio station, when they, when they drop that, if they're the first one to do it, they broadcast uh, double. So it, 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 it has the, like some of the largest area of effect of bringing up people's wants for whatever it is. And it also uh, broadcasts double. And that's, I think, where yeah. I have so, so the So essentially issue. the radio, just to be clear, is if you have a radio, you control the demand. And then every player at the table needs to produce whatever it is you're advertising. Yeah, it's it's, but it, it, it kind of feels like... Like, not that it's, again, not that it's overpowered, but it takes something away from the game. Like, before that, the game, uh, like, I I was having more fun. I usually have more fun in the game before the radio comes out because you're, you're kind of trying to, like fight over houses and create pockets where you can sell and you you have these guaranteed sales of like i know this house and i'm marketing to this house and i want to build up their demand for all these things that i know i can sell to and and you you like you like i produce pizza i'm the first produced pizza so my pizza sells for even more and people love this damn pizza i'm the first to market the pizza too so like all these other things is like working for this like pizza group in the beginning where people also kind of split off. Like some people produce burgers first. Some people produce pizza first. I produce pizza first. And uh, that's what I'm what I'm doing. And then I'm kind of controlling sectors. And that's how I made like a lot of my money in the beginning was just having like two houses that I could bring up a lot of demand for pizza and then sell like a lot of sell really expensive pizza too and i like that as a strategy but then when the when the radio hits it's this like the game almost if the game was in phases you have the first phase where it's very structured and you have to produce things that you have to uh like hire in the right way to hit the, the milestones correctly and then the game gets chaotic and then the game gets less chaotic again in like the third phase where the when the radio comes out because the radio will basically once it comes out it signals like the last stretch of the game because it puts so much demand in so many houses that like th- that like that's when the money yeah. starts coming out um and it's this weird thing because then people could start doing price wars and then at those price wars people are making so little money priya was selling three burgers for eighteen dollars mm-hmm. which is you know because she was discounting so hard to meet the to meet the arguments. And the thing that's crazy is that if you use like a regional manager or something like that, for example, uh, or sorry, if you use a housing manager, what you could do is slap a slap a garden on one of the houses that has a radio and then just put a demand on it that other people can't meet. So now, you know, oh, I guess they want three burgers and two sodas. You know, and then that sets up like this totally different scenario, because then not only are they going to are they 
do they have to try to produce that? But if they can't meet that demand, you could you could slam down like a luxuries manager because if you're the only person who can meet the demand that's like that, that's like that crazy amount of stuff, and you have a luxuries manager and you're selling to someone who who has a garden, you're selling five items, you could win in a turn. Yeah, I, that's I, crazy. I mean, it's just crazy to think of all the ways that it could go. Yeah, but it it like didn't it, last night's game didn't go in an interesting or crazy way to me, just because you had already done the first burger produced and everything. Uh, Priya decides to do a radio and marketed and marketed. Priya, having not produced the first burger, having not marketed a burger, decides to put burgers on the radio, which I thought was weird because it. Like it, like when you put like a drink, it kind of does create some interesting situations for dealing with that. But she wasn't in a good spot to capitalize on it, and you had turns and turns and turns ago capitalized on like being a burger fiend, and like you were gonna. She got the burger first, though. What? She got that burger chef. She was the first to the burger chef, uh, so that's when I knew that burgers were coming out. Mm-hmm. It just, it seemed like a, like, that seemed like a weird play, and it also kind of, like, created a huge issue for me, because my structure, like, was not allowing me to pivot as much. Like, I wasn't producing a lot of stuff. I didn't have a refrigerator. Um, I couldn't overproduce a lot. Uh, I had to meet the demand every turn while still trying to, like, correctly train and build out my employees, and I just didn't have, like, I had too many, like, low-level entry, uh, people for uh burger production so like it it just felt like like a weird pivot for me and that like i couldn't react to it as quickly as i wanted to whereas like other people were set up a little bit more for success in that weird move i just think that like the game before that i think that the game is more interesting mid-game when you have maybe a, a, a diversity of of uh goods being marketed and then you have to like i think some of the most interesting things happen in the game when people when the the demand for the market is like something weird like they want a lemonade a pizza and a burger so now you really have to like you know like scrounge to find out how you're gonna structure your your uh company so that you're getting three different things but if you get just burger fucked and everyone is just I, wants burger, burger, burger. Then it just come. Then it gets less interesting because it's just like we'll get the dang it burger. It's it's the it's just the same thing. It's just in a different way because I think that it's actually interesting, uh, flexing prices and arguing and fighting over prices and trying to optimize restaurant locations and waitresses. I, I feel like so many things still come into play when there's only one thing being marketed. Like when there's one thing being marketed, yeah, people are going to argue over who has like the chefs and stuff like that. But that doesn't mean that you can't still take control. You could, like I said, when there's so many burgers in the field, you could still uh, get an airplane up and get gardens on the field so that burgers, so that, you know, now they want two burgers and two beers or something like that. I feel like there's never a shortage of options. And even if it is just burgers, then it's still who's going to price these better? Who's going to place their restaurants better? Can you beat them with waitresses, which did happen in, in the game at some points? So I don't know. I feel like there's a, there's still quite a bit of flexibility when when there's one thing being marketed. Because also when people are doing like diverse selling, then it's that thing again of just uh, devolving into you have your strategy and I have my strategy and 
and you know we're not interacting as much you do interact though like and you do want to start to like like but and I, I usually find that interaction and then and like more interesting and then later on in the game you would naturally start opening up stores in different areas marketing to different areas and creating weird demands in different areas i just think that like the radio is just always weird for me because uh, like i said i don't think it's overpowered and i don't i'm not going to disagree with literally anything you said there are part there are part there are structures in the game that already balance that out and then people can already be ready to pivot to what the radio does it is weird because it just it puts such like a bizarre hold on the game in in a way that like nothing else does where you like you people have their different islands of marketing and then they want to like start to put weird demands elsewhere so that they can market even they can get purchases farther away and like those kind of aspects of the game i just find those more fun than when the radio comes out and in very like inevitably every single person wants one thing on the board and it just becomes a scramble to like reorganize into what that new demand like what the new hyper demand is yeah but but it's not so much of a scramble because you see the burger coming you see the marketer coming out right like nothing in this game is ever a surprise there are no surprises in food chain magnate it just it it's not necessarily this a surprise it's just it's literally just a i don't like it it's literally just like a like a i like the mid game better of like vying over houses less like more with weird demands and seeing what people are individually doing and how they're uh what demands that they're creating and like how you can maybe start to like branch out in in different directions until this one thing one into thing like the, the radio because yeah. and when the radio hit it hits it also like the just like completely does away with a lot of the other early game board state stuff like billboards just become useless and inactive and, and like that's good and that's a good thing billboards shouldn't just be there forever doing shit i think that would be bad i don't know i i like the i like the diverse demand kind of stuff and they, and they yeah there's an answer for everything like you can put gardens on there you can you can fly airplanes over create weird demands and then one thing that happened that. that was also peculiar is that we had this this crazy mailbox. Mailboxes never work, but the mailbox came down before the bill the radio did. So the mailbox that I put out was for burgers. So people already kind of wanted burgers, and then Priya made it worse. Yeah, I, I, and there's something weird. Uh, like I, I don't know if this makes any sense, but again, this is just a feeling that I have. But there's something like less interesting about the game when it's like everything is just covered in burgers. I don't know why. Like I, I like that state of you like. Wish it were beer. There's pizza. There's beer. There's lemonade. There's coke. That everything is out there. Like and and trying to fight to like meet the demands and to structure for certain houses that you definitely want to grab and then having people think like oh they definitely want to grab that so I'll I'll structure it in a different way. I I think those are like more interesting aspects, but the game just gets to this weird part where everything is just covered in burgers and the the fighting happens over pricing and waitresses rather than like meeting weird demands or structuring it in different ways. Like I, I it, it really There's is no just a feeling like it's a weird demand. Though. I, I can, I can really just say like, I, I never, I don't, I, I don't think that the radio station is, is overpowered. I just think that it's less fun. Like I just have less fun. That's it. Like it's, it's, it, I, I don't, I don't have like a fantastic argument to back it up. And I, my own head can create, 
plenty of situations where like it's not overpowered and this is why the game already has uh you know is already built to deal with this coming out onto the board but it it's just something that i don't like as much this is definitely our most discussed topic of the year uh so we also played citadels and the thing that's funny about citadels so you've spoken to me a lot about citadels before but until it was in front of me i didn't completely understand it like i didn't understand what was going on and the reason is that when people talk about citadels and this includes the way that you and priya tried to teach me about citadels you teach me about the unique aspect of it first. So the if I were to tell someone how to play Citadels, I would say on your turn in Citadels, you are going to get to take income, which is getting money or getting cards, and then you're going to build a card out of your hand. Once you have eight cards in front of you, the game ends. However, when your turn happens is gonna be different every every round because you're getting these unique characters which you are drafting out of nine characters that you are passing around and this is important because you are essentially trying to guess and understand what other players are taking so that you can sort of meet them or steal from them or assassinate them uh sort of to de-optimize what they can do on their turn yeah but it's a pretty it's it's a cool game. It's easy to understand once you sort of have that in mind. And I really like uh, the variability in the game. I like the modularity. Uh, I'd love to see how that game. It's like Dominion, where there's these different sort of sets of cards that you put out, and when you put them out, uh, it's going to change the strategies and change the game. Uh, the thing that Citadels has over Dominion is that citadels can't be solved. Whereas Dominion can be solved because Dominion has no input randomness and uh, citadels does have input randomness. As well as kind of like a light bluffing. It's not even bluffing, but uh, like, like you said- uh, it's hidden information. Yeah, it's like a hidden information. It's all, it, it almost in that way is like social deduction-y, but ha- like every turn is its own little social deduction of like, what things do people want and what is out of the game? So what can I assume that other people have picked? Yeah, where it's like, oh, that person has two trade districts and I don't see the trader, so they're probably the trader. So maybe I could take the assassin and go for them but is that worth it yeah or did they fake you out because that's something that they'll that people will do a lot or you know it just gets discarded yeah absolutely so citadels was pretty cool uh not too much that i have to say about it i think that it's uh i was expecting it to play faster but you can really get bogged down when in the draft like it can really just take a while to figure out like okay what's not on the table what does that mean who should I pick? Like, what can I do? There's also a lot of, there's also a worry because I find that when I play Citadels, I have a, I look at the the available cards and I think this is definitely the best one for me right now. And then I immediately think, oh, fuck, the assassin is here though. So like if I, somebody else if, if, that it's the best if, one yeah, if, me. if I, if this is so obviously the best thing for me right now, then how would people around the table think about that like are people around the table going to instantly notice that card's missing and like obviously i wanted it so then you have to like also think like what's the second best thing for me what's a safe pick what's something that i think i can get away with that's pretty good that people won't target 
I, I also, uh, yeah, that you were talking about the the variability. There's a, there's a ton of variability in that game, and I think that's where uh, some of the like I don't know if I loved some of the cards we play with. I think there's some more interesting cards. Uh, one of my favorite cards in the game is there's like a uh, like I forget the name of it, but it's like they basically put like a like a uh, letters on. They send letters to two different cards above them. And to like, I think it's like the second, they might go second and they basically put these icons, like these little icons down on two, two, uh, of the cards going up and one of them, uh, will kill the person and the other one is a bluff and you can pay money to the person who put the, the threats on, on you to not reveal, uh, whether or not it was a bluff or an assassination, um, and I think it creates like really interesting, like like there's some really dynamic, interesting uh, cards in that game where you have to think about whether or not someone is just like bluffing and is forcing you to pay them to or to like take the bet, or do you feel like you just can't even take the bet because you need to go along with this turn right now? There's a lot of like really fascinating cards in that game, um, and I, I don't know if we played with like my favorite setup of it, uh, but I, I yeah I think that's a fantastic game. It's it's the game that got me into board games because I saw that game and the mental gymnastics you have to do uh, getting into that game to play well uh, without just being targeted every turn because you're picking obvious things uh, is what made me want to play more games like that. Want to play board games where I would sit around with a table of friends and would try and you know, think about what they want to do, what I want to do, and how this all fits into a, a piece, and I th- a puzzle, and I think that that game does that fen- phenomenally. We also opened the box to Lovecraft Letter, and that is such that a That was a moment. Game. But we didn't play it, Yeah, we did open the yeah, box. Yeah, but, but we were, playing wow. the box, in, opening the box in itself was similar to playing a game. Because, yeah, was, because you rarely beautiful. open a box and are that astounded with aesthetics and production quality. And those those yeah. those things mean something. They mean a lot. Absolutely. I am so excited to play that game after opening the box and just looking at those heavy poker chips and those big, beautiful cards. And they give you sleeves for the cards. And the backs of the sleeves have the uh, have this uh, letter on them because it's a game about sending letters. So that is so nice. And it comes in like a, a, a velveteen uh, insert. And the box has a magnetic flap, like that's like a book, like it's like a latch of a book. They yeah. they checked off every available thing. Like if this if that game were a Kickstarter, which I don't know if it is, was it? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Love Letter has been out that, for a while. That is exactly the kind of thing that along Kickstarter stretch goals will be like an insert, and then further up there, velveteen insert, and then further up there, magnetic box latch, and then further up there, uh, people who buy buy into the Kickstarter campaign will get uh, like official like uh, sleeves for all the cards for all these like beautiful linen cards that are already linen and beautiful and texturized, but we're going to give you massive sleeves that are themed for this game uh, on top of that. And then also like, like, Oh, and we're, and we're, we're upgrading the uh, cardboard punch outs to hard, like clay poker chips, stuff like that, where it's like they, they, every aspects of the production quality that could have been better, they got to it. And I think it's like, 
that I paid like thirteen or fifteen dollars. How do that. you do that? How do you produce a a game like that? How do you get away with that? But that's Lovecraft letter. So what else do we have? So yesterday we got the chance to play Terra Mystica, and it's the first time that you've actually played Terra Mystica in person. Uh, so listeners of the podcast will know I'm a big fan of Gaia Project, but at the same time, I feel like Terra Mystica still belongs on my shelf. Uh, I agree. In part because you have Gaia Project, uh, and in part because Terra Mystica is like $70, and I already bought it. So yeah. there's no going back. And uh, it has but, probably better components and overall look, and it's more thematic. I really want to get the expansion for it. I think that uh, one of the coolest things, like the thing that I love about Terra Mystica and that I love about Gaia Project is the asymmetry. Uh, and just having more characters to play with is is huge for me. Yeah. Uh, for the life of the game, because Terra Mystica is also like a game that I just always want to play. I just want to play it over and over and over. Same thing with Gaia Project. I just want to try all the races. I want to see different board setups like for in Gaia Project. Uh, and and one thing that's kind of cool is. The way that these games are different right and there are parts of gaia project that are better like the tech track but there's also some really cool things about the way that terra mystica is different like uh <laughs> the the I, I don't know really where to start with that but but one way is through shipping where it's sort of like it's sort of like the navigation from uh gaia project i don't know if there's a way that we should briefly explain the these games and explain the differences between these games Essentially, in these games, you are building a kingdom in Terra Mystica. So what you're doing is you are putting down buildings, but you, because you are of different races, your different races can only put buildings on the landscape that they, that they know. So, for example, halflings can only put buildings on fertile soil. So there is an aspect of this game where you're reshaping the terrain, you're terraforming it, you're you're changing it from a forest into uh, into fertile ground. You're changing it from a forest into a lake. You're changing it from a lake into mountains, desert into like an arid climate. All of these different sort of uh, modifications. And the thing that's interesting is that everybody has a different terrain type. So you're sort of competing with other players on the board for territory, but some territory is more valuable to other players because of the fact that it is closer to what they can terraform. So because, for example, it's very hard to transform a desert into wetlands. It would require a great deal of resources. Uh, so that's sort of like the basis of Terra Mystica. So, for example, yesterday I was playing as this aquatic race called the Swarmlings, and you were playing as a forest race, right? Like some yeah, sort Orin. of Orin, like, like forest, nymph, forest with, nymph kind of people who were really strong at going up the cult track. Yes. And, and one of the things that is different between Terra Mystica and between Gaia Project is the way that they handle this cult track. So the cult track is this sort of sideboard where there are these four different elements that as you go up the cult track, you are moving up the board and you're getting points at the end of the game, but also at the end of every round, uh, 
there are sort of these random objectives that are giving you uh, a conversion of cult power into into these other resources. So for example, one thing might say, for every two up the wind track, you get an additional worker. Or for every four up the water track, you get a spade, which freely lets you terraform. And, And so this is one of the core differences. Now, Gaia Project is sort of the same game, but in space, where you're built, the areas are far more distant, uh, the board is modifiable. Instead of having these cult tracks, there are tech tracks, which are far more robust, uh, far more interesting, but also locked into what they do. Yeah, and and that is for better. the The cult track is the weakest part of Terra Mystica compared to the tech track and Gaia Project. When I say that there's nothing that feels tacked on in Food Chain Magnate. When I look at the cult track in in got in a Terra Mystica, it feels a little tacked somewhat on. extraneous. I, I understand where it is from like a balance perspective of uh, you can't just look at the one board because you also have to consider this because there are some races that are weaker with building but are stronger on the cult track like the Orin. And and that's sort of to to their downfall also because uh it sort of is weird having to interact with these two boards at once. I I know why it is the way it is. I think that Terra Mystica is sort of a very well-realized game, but you know, the cult track is it's less interesting, right? Yeah. But but I but the thing that I really loved about our game yesterday of Terra Mystica was the race I was playing. I thought they were super interesting. But I feel like so that's so often. Yeah. I don't know I don't know how, but, I don't know when I've played one of these games when I was like when I was like, yeah, I'll never play that race again. Usually I'm stuck in between. I really want to play a different race and I really want to play that race again, having seen how they worked out. Like the Taclons. Do you feel that way about the Orins? I do. So the Orins just have the ability to really push themselves up the cult track harder, right? Um, yeah, but also uh, they did get a, I, you do get a free favor tile uh, when you get their stronghold out. And I... I'm a big uh, fan of advancement uh, tiles and favor tiles in these games because they supplement, like, if you get it early, then it's like a supplementary income that you can kind of, if done correctly, you can uh, get more resources or, like, go away from getting, like, money or something because you know you're going to get a free income of that early on. Yeah, for sure. So the thing... The way that these swarmlings work is they start with way more currency than everybody else. They start with more workers than everybody else. They start one up every cult track. Uh, And when they put down their stronghold, they get the action of turning any dwelling into a trading post uh, for no cost. That's a really good one, too, because everything stems from that. And then trading posts are also uh, interesting in both of these games because they're one of the biggest bottleneck considerations because the the probably one of the main things is that as you're building these up you kind of got a tree that everything starts as a dwelling and then has to be upgraded to a trading post and then from there you kind of got this branching path and the trading post is much cheaper if you build it adjacent to someone else so kind of so like building your best stuff is very cost prohibitive uh, unless you are next to other people. 
So it's hard or to you are a swarmling. or you're a swarmling. So like you you know you know what I'm saying is like is like yeah. a lot of the game is like where you position dwellings so that you can know that those are close enough to be able to cheaply t- transform into a trading post and then start building out out that way. Um, and it's hard to take a trading post that is like locked somewhere else that isn't next to anybody and make something out of that because it's very cost prohibitive. So it's kind of cool to have this race that is built around having the ability to just do that. And also, yeah, so they So you're not as beholden to like where other people are. Yeah, and they're sort of independent operatives. I wonder, and this is something that I always wonder about at these, in Terra Mystica and in Gaia Project, is whether or not different races are better or weaker at different player counts. Uh, that's true. Uh, I know that in Gaia Project, there uh, there is like a tier list I've seen that has like a whole thing of like there's there's characters that are just terrible at certain play counts. There's characters that are amazing at certain play counts. And I thought about that recently when we were playing Gaia Project and I was playing the Taclon, right? Uh, because sort of their thing is is they have this um the what do you call it the mind mind cube stone mind orb mind stone and the way that that this game works is uh when you build next to another player they get to cycle power they and cycling power essentially lets you perform special actions once you've accrued enough and the taclon have a power crystal that is equivalent to three power so every time that someone builds near you you get to cycle this this mind stone and essentially generate like power way faster than anybody else which is which seems a lot stronger in a four player game than a two player game because in a four player game people cannot help but build near you because everyone is going to be in everybody else's business now the offset of this is that in Gaia Project there are different size boards and that's a really good idea and that's very good in comparison to Terra Mystica, where a two-player board is just as big as a four-player board. Uh, and I could see that, and I'm sorry, Terra Mystica actually goes to five, but I could see that causing some issues in Terra Mystica, yeah. where it is easy to just totally build very far away from another player that relies on cycling power, and then they're just kind of they're just kind of in a bad way. Whereas with the Swarmlings, you kind of get to cheat that. You kind of get to cheat because with the Swarmlings, they don't require being near other players because they get those free trade posts. They don't pay that high cost. Yeah. So I thought that was a little funky. I don't it think it's like that Terra funky. Mystica. It didn't make me like Terra Mystica any less, but it was something that I was actively thinking about as we were going through that game. Yeah, I, I I'm impressed. I didn't think that I was gonna like Terra Mystica as much as I did. Uh, I, I agree with everything you've said. I one thing that I I really like about Gaia Project is obviously the 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 tech track. Uh, one of the reasons why I like it so much is because it's the it, it their version of the cult track is what governs your ability to basically do anything. And I think that's really fascinating. Is that like your ability to build further away or your income or your knowledge or your ability to terraform like these are uh weighted on that track and that's really interesting i think that's really interesting is that like going up these tracks has like immediate tangible 
uh, or like, you know, bonuses or cheapening things for, for you and making things more cost effective. I, I like that kind of stuff. Um, but other than that, I'm surprised that, that the cult track didn't, I don't find it as, I don't find it bad. Um, it's not I'm, bad. I'm glad that, that it does have like in, in Terra Mystica, it was definitely more about like cycling. Cause there's a lot of, uh, like power in Terra Mystica is interesting because in Gaia project, you're doing a lot more of like getting power, cycling power, destroying power. So like it's, it's a more, uh, dynamic resource and in Terra Mystica, it's very, it's much more static. So, uh, the cult track has all these breaks in it where when you go over these breaks, you get to cycle power. And that's kind of one of the main things that I think that it exists for, because uh, it's the primary resource that allows you to do that. Um, and then also, I think it is fun having a round end bonus that gives you a big uh, boost if you are up on certain cold tracks. So it's another thing to, it adds another consideration to every round, or to even planning out turns in advance. And it is also interesting, like there were times where I was thinking about taking certain favor tiles, but you know, looking at the round end bonuses, like there was this one favor tile that I wanted, but it was up the red cult track. Yeah, and it was only one up them, right? <clears throat> it was actually it was the one that that gives a no, it was the one that gives two two red, but it gives um, it makes it easier to found six. a town. Yeah, six instead of seven power to found a town. So I was looking at it, but it was actually like I kept thinking about how poor of a choice it would be because of the fact that it wasn't giving me any round end bonuses. I mean, also the thing about those round end bonuses is it really was to my benefit to play the Swarmlings that game because there were multiple round end bonuses that uh, gave points for building trading posts. But it was a very good game. I think it, it definitely looks game. better. I think they kind of took a, took a step backwards with Gaia Project. Yeah, I'd love to see what they would do with a Gaia Project expansion. I'm sure that's coming. I hope that's coming. Yeah. So outside of those, I have been playing Red Dead Redemption 2. Okay, tell me about it. So that game is surprisingly slow. That game is very slow compared to everything that Rockstar does. It's way more slow, it's way more deliberate, and it's way more... Uh, I, I think it takes itself more seriously, but there are still some weird rock star things about it. <clears throat> Namely, all right, all right, so let's start talking about the slowness of this game. So everything that you do has an animation. When you are looting, like let's say that you go into an abandoned cabin and you want to rummage around for goods. Your character has a individual emote, like, <clears throat> sorry, has an individual motion and an, animation for each cabinet that they open where if a cabinet is high up you know they'll like have to reach higher and and look up and and and, you know open the cabinets or when they're low or for like trying to grab under something like something under the bed let's say or like chests there's all of these different animations and they're all very slow and i think that that is a small detail but i think that it is indicative of the rest of the game because this is not a game about <clears throat> optimizing how much loot you can collect or leveling the correct way on a skill tree. This is really a game that is about the experience of being in this world and playing this game. And and sort of everything else is secondary to that because that is going to be the defining thing that people are going to say about this game. 
it is massive and it is slow and it is one of the and i think that this is the game that is also going to separate the way that critics talk about things versus the way that uh end users actually talk about things oh wow so tell like what do you think it's gonna be more of a critical darling of like wow this was amazing that they put all this work into uh designing all these animations and having it play out and being more of an immersive game whereas you think that end users will find that tedious is that what you're saying grand theft auto like the thing that is crazy about this is that this is probably the weirdest triple a game that has ever existed this is the least I, i don't know what the word i'm looking for i don't want to say fun but this is the least um casual maybe I, I um what is I, I don't know what the word is accessible this is the least accessible game that i think is a triple a produced game with a massive budget and like seven years behind it of people might go into this and they might expect grand theft auto in the in the west and that's not what this is this isn't a game where you're just like driving around and running people over and I don't know, holding up shops. But but at the same time, there are elements of that, right? And that's sort of where this game is, where the gameplay is at contention of the style and the aesthetics and the story of this game. Because I don't know if you know anything about Red Dead Redemption. I'm sure you do, because I think you've done every single thing in the first game. Yeah, I loved the first game. The first game was but like you, a darling to me. And it also hit out at the right time you, for me. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But as you might know, this is a prequel to that. You are in Dutch's, you're sort of in this gang led by this uh, anti-hero called Dutch. And he sort of has a different way about him than most people because he doesn't look to necessarily just like rob people or just like kill civilians his thing is that he usually does bad things to bad people and his gang comes you know they have like respect for their fellow man they like save women and take care of children and they're different but at the same time because this is a rock star game you can kind of just do whatever you want right you could walk into a town and just shoot everyone there just because And there are people in Dutch's gang that actually do that and that actually think that that's the right way to do things. And I guess I'm just sort of lost right now on what does this game want me to think of these people? Because at the same time, they try to endear you to your gang. You you have uh, this camp, this homestead where you walk through it and people are just like striking up conversations with you. You get to know who some of these people are. You get to like some of them, and you definitely get to hate some of them. There is this character that very early on they paint as like this massively terrible person. He is the one who is shooting up a whole town and who your character uh, really despises. But at the same time, they let you be that character, this really awful person who will just like shoot civilians on the side of the road for no reason. And I've always felt that Rockstar Games were at odds with themselves. You know what I mean? Where they're trying to sell you on this grand narrative. This is something that happened a lot in Grand Theft Auto 4. Yeah. Where this... I mean, narratively, uh, that, that, that's the worst because narratively it was all about, like, literally 
I'm getting to, I'm, I, I was a gangster. Um, I'm, a, I'm in America. I'm an immigrant now and I want to be clean and I want to live a new life. And then like minute one is like, oh, murdered someone. And, yeah. you're, and you're supposed to be like, the, and again, you're supposed to be like this good guy. But part of the game is like your ability to do anything. And sometimes like as a player, you don't necessarily care that much about the consequences or the but game doesn't game like make realistic that, consequences. But it's a game that makes it less fun. It's a game that makes the terror that you can put against other people and against other and against the scenery, against the nature of this world, it makes it less fun. And it makes it more engaging. It makes it more like interesting. I, this morning I was riding on horseback and I saw this giant elk and I, I shot it and it sort of started to go, move a little slower. I shot it and it fell down. So I, I get off my horse, I, I go up next to it. And Alyssa's like, this is kind of tragic. She's sitting there next to me watching and she's like, I mean, I know this game was extremely detailed, but the fact that they let this animal like lay there, like dying and wheezing and the way that it's like trying to move, but it can't because it's been shot too many times and it's bleeding out. It's kind of excessive. So I saw it there. I went back to my horse to grab my rifle off of it. And then I just killed it. And then I skinned it and they have, you know, these unique skinning animations for every character where he's deliberately like slicing certain parts of the creature and then, and then physically peeling the skin off of them. Yeah, that's great. And then, and then, you know, bringing it onto the horse, like rolled up and, and putting it on the horse. If you've got like too much on the horse, it won't be able to carry the skin, but it's, it's wild. Right. Because is that fun? I don't know. Does it make it a better game? And those are the questions that you have to ask if you're going to consider spending $60 to play this, I don't know, 100-hour game. Like, are those the moments you want? There was a time today where I ran upon someone whose stagecoach broke down. And he said, can I get a hand? And I said, absolutely. What can I do for you? He said, I'm going to ride out to the next village. Can you please watch my stuff until I get back? I said, sure. So he rode off further than I could see. Uh, and I'm just there with his broken down wagon. I tried to make a campfire to wait. And it said, you can't do that uh, because there is an activity close by. So chill on that, you know, do something else. So I was like, fine. I did some hunting. I picked berries. I, I studied birds. As you study the different natures around you, you have a better idea of how to hunt them and of how to get resources off of them and skinning. So, so if you can like quietly observe things, uh, that, that does good things for you. Uh, when you pick up plants, you don't know what they do until you try to use them, until you try to eat them. Uh, and I was there for maybe 10 or 15 minutes and the guy didn't come back. And I thought, this is absolutely bonkers. I don't know if they're expecting me to wait here for a greater deal of time but I just, you know, I rode off. And then not too far away, I found somebody else who said, hey, buddy. He was like on top of a mountain. He's like, hey, come here. And, and it was amazing. It was so cinematic and, and crazy to be like, it was this beautiful day. I'm waiting by this guy for this guy uh, to come back to his broken down carriage. He didn't come back. And then a storm rolls in. And the storm coming in is when I said, you know, Arthur would not be down for this. When the weather was good, sure, he'll wait. But as soon as it starts pouring, he's out. 
So we're riding through the storm. The storm stops, and then this immense, dense fog rolls over. And it is just so beautiful and crazy. And then out in this fog, I just hear someone calling me over. And I'm like, okay, what is this guy's deal? And I go over, and he's telling me all about how he's this grand explorer who's swam across oceans, and he's on his way to Japan to find this rare diamond. And he needs to leave America, but he has a treasure map. And I can have it if I pay him 10 bucks. Okay. And I said, Sounds well, like a good deal. Do re- Maybe. Do I really have to pay this guy 10 bucks? Because also I could just rob him. But what I did is I, I bought it off of him for $10. And then I took his horse, his horse that was, I was just like, fine. So I paid him the $10. I punched him out. I let him live. I just left him there, punched out, stole his horse. His horse had all of these like papers and maps on it. And then I just like rode his horse away while my horse like followed behind me. And I never happened upon the guy with the carrot with the uh, from the carriage. But I imagine that'll come back later. But it was hmm. so bizarre. That is so bizarre. I don't even know what so to say. Weird. I'm like dumbfounded. All of these, like, like I, emergent events. It's just crazy. I, I like I it definitely is what you're talking about for like the the schism because between uh, what is impressive game design and what is just like going like too far like having to wait 10 minutes around a carriage or like 15 20 minutes to like physically like have this npc travel like realistically away from you and then go somewhere and then get like someone to help or replacement parts and then come back while you're like actually expected to like wait there and like try and make something out of it i think a lot of other games would would like turn that into like a cinematic or uh, something where you're waiting there and then you have to defend it from like yeah, different then, like, waves of enemies. And then, yeah, that's yeah, what but, would happen in another game. But it's so insane that it's just like, no, realistically, like dude's car broke down and he needed a little help. So he's going to have to like ride a horse like 20 minutes over, grab something, ride a horse back 20 minutes and you're expected to wait there like actually in real time. But I think the thing is, there's nothing like this, right? There there are games that are of this scale. Games like Kingdom Come Deliverance, let's say. But those are not made with like the polish and quality of a Rockstar game because when you think about these big games that are trying to like simulate these grand like places or worlds or experiences, maybe you think about or maybe you don't think about, but maybe some people think about Skyrim where it is this grand epic where you can do so many things, uh, but it's really buggy. And some of the systems make, they're just bad, right? And the animations look bad. The way that you run and everything looks awkward. The way that people speak to you looks awkward. But this game is totally different. If you see three members of your gang walking next to each other, they will have a different stride. They will saunter differently. Different horses will move differently. When you see people in town, they will remember you and they'll remember the things that you did. When you get a bounty level on you, that bounty stays and you have to deal with your con- with the consequences of what you've done. And that's what I mean when I say this is not, this goes back to the elk that was bleeding out on the ground. This is not necessarily always for the sake of fun, but it's a game that also makes you reflect on the things that you do because everything takes forever. If you shoot a stranger, if, if you shoot a stranger like off of his horse and you loot him, like first off, 
you're going to find like what a dollar and maybe like, I don't know, like a silver ring. That's not worth anything, but the game is quiet. It's not going to react to you doing that. And the way that it doesn't react in, in Grand Theft Auto, you get like a wanted level on you. The game is reacting to you, but, but Red Dead Redemption is like somber and it just makes you contemplate. You like shoot someone out in the wilderness and there's not people reacting all the time. Maybe no one's there world doesn't react to you you don't get anything you you have to slowly get off your horse slowly go up to this person lead down and then arthur is just rummaging through their pockets and the rummaging is going to be different you know because maybe they're not wearing a coat so maybe he's going into the pockets on their pants whatever but everything that you do you do with intent because the game forces you to and it's not always going to be fun. It's not always like I take my rocket launcher and I blast <laughs> and I just like blast the city street. And then I get like this crazy wanted level and I'm like running around. And and I don't know, maybe I get that. Play, maybe I get that later. Maybe I'm like hunting dinosaurs and like and like I get a dinosaur cannon and then I shoot my dinosaur cannon at Valentine and the church just like ends up being a rocket ship. I, I don't know, maybe that happens later, but for now it is just like this quiet, deliberate, like strange world. And by the way, I will say that I was reading a newspaper in the game and there was someone who was talking about how they saw a dinosaur. Wow. So maybe that does happen. I don't think so, but sure. I don't know. Wasn't there Bigfoot in Red Dead Redemption 1? I think so, but I don't think that's the same thing. I think it's a little bit more like Rockstar... You know, I bet that there is some rock star weirdness in this game. One thing that's crazy is like I fought this legendary bear and then I like rode halfway across the world to get to a tanner who could deal with like his pelt. And then I found out that if I hunt legendary bears, I can make like an outfit, like a legendary bear outfit that like has different like cold weather effects. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. But in order to do it, I have to trek across the world bringing these pellets to this tanner who can deal with it i don't know there's just like this game is wild and it's wild in a way that's different from breath of the wild because that is the first immediate comparison that someone will yeah that's what i the comparison that i made and you know what the thing that is the most similar about this game and about breath of the wild is how it makes you feel about its wilderness, that's that's step one. But also how there's nothing to compare it to. Red Dead Redemption 2 is equally incomparable to other things in the same way that Breath of the Wild is. And that might be the thing that gives that is the closest comparison between those two games. As strange as that sounds. Yeah. So I don't know. What do you do? You have any questions about it? What do you What do you think about this? I don't know. I, th- I definitely think it's an achievement. I I think that I would have like, it's it's worrisome. I I, I want to see it. I think I don't know. Want to play it on PS4? I would want to wait till maybe it gets ported over with like DLC onto PC. Uh, it sounds like such an achievement, regardless of whether or not it was always enjoyable. I think that it's like it. It's definitely worth seeing just to see how they do that, how they make everything pan out realistically and move realistically. And that there's not just like, you know, a, a uh, like one size fits all cutscene for looting a bear. And then you can just skip through it and it just like lets you have the fun. And then you just you know, like the bear pelt, just like, even though it's a large bear pelt, it just like flies into your inventory. Yeah. You have to physically carry it. 
Yeah. And that's... It's, it's, inter- time, it's fascinating. There's no other game that I've played that made me sort of care, like, like about the story in the same way, outside of, like, maybe, I don't know, Undertale, which is, like, such a smaller scale. But there is no game that has both immersed me in its world and made me care about the story at the same time. I care about the world of Red Dead Redemption in the same way that I cared about Breath of the Wild. Because at the start of Breath of the Wild, you don't know what's out there and you don't know what the game is going to do for you. And one of my best moments of 2016, 2017, of 2017, was the first time that I saw a dragon in Breath of the Wild. Yeah, And I think that if I continue down the road of playing Red Dead Redemption 2, which I wholly plan to do, by the way, uh, is going to be seeing something in that game for the first time. I don't know what it is yet, but I know it. And, and so far, I, I, am, I did feel like this immense feedback when the fog started rolling in. Just like the scale of this world, the fact that it is both large and, and small, the fact that it is this massive world with very small details is, I don't think anything we've ever seen before. I do really want to check it out. And everything you're saying like does make me want to play it more, but it's also hard. Like, it, like it, it, the, the fact that it takes so much time to do all these things, it worries me about my time. But maybe, but that's the point, right? Because you think about one of the things that I was thinking about is, in Path of Exile, they will never do a magnetized pickup. In Diablo, they have this thing where if you kill a bunch of monsters and then you just run over them, they'll suck up all the currency, right? But they won't do that in Path of Exile. And the reason why is that the developers say, we want there to be a cost associated with picking something up. And I really like that idea. I really like that idea for Red Dead Redemption. Because you look at a, a person riding by and you think, I could kill that person. But there's a consideration that you have to make when you do that. Because there's, there's an actual time consideration of, is it worth it for me to just, like, he's not just like a bag of money. Because I have to physically spend time killing him. I have to spend time looting him. If somebody spots me, if a witness spots me and starts riding towards town to alert the guards, then I have to worry about that too. And then th- there is going to be this uh, this feedback, right? This negative feedback of that action. So is it worth doing that action? And I really love that idea of there is a cost associated with the things that you do in not just a way that like a telltale game would be like, you know, uh, Micah will remember that. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I think it really and, is and interesting. I, it, it I want to give it its time too. What it is you want to do. Yeah. But you have to want to play a single player game. You know, For you a really have to long say, time. Yes. But you get those payoffs immediate. Like as soon as you leave the the starting area, you get those payoffs. Okay. Because those payoffs are in the moment to moment because this is a game. Also consider this. You say, oh, it takes a really long time to ride across the world to deliver a bear pelt, right? But the riding across the world, that is the reward. Like, the reward isn't the fact that you get a cool hat at the end. The reward is also, like, I saw this crazy bear, 
and the bear reacted to me in this way and I had to set out baits and traps and then I was able to kill it. And while I was in the area with the bear, I discovered these new herbs. And then when I was riding down the road to deliver this bear pelt, I happened upon this guy and he was in chains and I released him from the chains. And then he told me about this other thing. Like, like that's the point is that it's not about getting the, the pelt to the man. The journey. It's about everything that happens in the way because that whole thing that I was telling you about with the broken down carriage that happened while I was on the way to deliver the bear pelt. And that was a reward. It was, I wasn't being rewarded just because I was getting a tangible thing. In this game, you were rewarded every moment because you're able to soak in that atmosphere. It's about the journey, not the destination. I think it really is. The yeah. best, the, 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 the best game to live that, that line. Just like Breath of the Wild, I think, was the same way. Yeah. Because Breath of the Wild didn't have massive payoffs, right? No. Massive payoffs in Breath of the Wild were just like... Seeing the world. Yeah. For the first time, yeah. And Red Dead Redemption is absolutely there, where it's like this meticulously handcrafted world with tons of tiny... And sometimes you will do a crazy mission, you will do a bank heist, you will raid a gang's camp and get this insane shotgun... And you can clean it up and outfit it and change the stock. And that's all cool, too. Then there's this quiet world where everything that you do has that. And if you're not sure about it, just come over and check it out for yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we should start wrapping it up because my bedtime is coming. Because it's dinner time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, glad we could glad we could play games. Hope we can get together next weekend. And glad that we could spend some time talking about Red Dead Redemption. Hell yeah. Which is probably going to be what? Game of the year for... Most people, publications, right? yeah, a lot of people. I do. Most I really do want to check it out. I I wish that I didn't have to play it on PS4, but that's the way the world works. I got a pro, so I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, WTDGpodcast.com, at sign WTDGpodcast, iTunes, what's the deal with games, rate, comment, subscribe to the show. Thank you, Ryan Galloway and Crying. We use the, the intro and outro revive off the new album, Beyond Fleeting Gales. You can find them at the Run for Cover Bandcamp. You know what's crazy is I think that we've somehow already said that the brand director from uh, Food Chain Magnate is in Smash. So I feel like we can't get away with that one. How about 2B? Because she's in everything else. That makes sense, yeah. So hot take, 2B announced for Smash. And, uh, you know, if you're you're looking for a better joke than that, we just don't have it. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you, James.